Welcome to Screenshots, the podcast that offers a critical take on television, movies, and the occasional video game. I'm William Wright. Please join my brother Scott and me, as in this episode we discuss Man of Steel. All right, so we're going to take the plunge and talk about Man of Steel. I, I say we're going to take the plunge because our, our policy is kind of to not talk about films until they're out on Blu-ray or DVD, and the reason for that is, one reason is because we want to talk about the films completely. We want to talk about the plots and things that happened and give away spoilers and if we wait until the film is out on Blu-ray or DVD, then we've given everybody a chance to watch it. Uh, also, maybe we don't want to see the film in the theater, so um, you know we'll wait till it's on DVD so we can rent it. Um, but the thing about uh, Man of Steel is it's it's probably the most important film that Scott and I have seen this year in terms of you know, films that we anticipated seeing. We've made reference to it already in previous episodes, and so we're just going to go ahead and talk about it. But um, before we do that, uh, I guess we should take a little chit-chat time. <laughs> we need somebody to write us some music for that. <laughs> well, we actually have a little something to talk about, because you actually came to Iowa City, which you don't do very often. Nope. Uh, but we went to Engler Theater to see John Hodgman. And uh, that was a really good show. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, really, really good. I wasn't sure how it was going to be. Um, you know, sometimes you go to see a comedian in person, and he's not really even a comedian. He's more of a, <laughs> I don't know, a satirist or something. I don't know. What would what would you think he? Well, he calls he himself a humorist. Yeah, humorist. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's satirist. Um, so, you know, you never know what you're going to get there, but, uh, yeah, it was a really good act and, and I, I laughed all the way through it. I I don't know about you, but I thought it was pretty good. No, I did too. And I, it's not what I expected. I kind of, Mm -hmm. I mean, he even admitted at the beginning of it, uh, he, he wasn't wearing a a suit and tie like he usually does uh, during his, uh, stuff. And, you know, he even pointed that out himself that that was unusual. Mm-hmm. But uh, and that's kind of what I expected. I expected he'd have a suit and tie, and he'd be almost playing a character during the whole thing. And he kind of did that near the beginning, talking about you know how he didn't expect to be there. He expected the world would have ended by now. Right. Which, I mean, obviously that's not true. He didn't really expect no, the world I'm was sure going to end. No, he didn't. No. But but aside from just at the very beginning when he was sort of you know. Uh, acting like this is something he really thought was going to happen, and it and it really took him by surprise when it didn't. The rest of the show was it seemed to be just him talking, a lot like a a stand up act, but but a lot more personal. I mean, he, he seems to he seemed very authentic and and just it, nothing he he said seemed like it was all that rehearsed, except that it it flowed so well. I mean. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It, it it didn't feel like an act at all. It felt like he was just sort of doing it all off the cuff, except that, except that, you know, he wasn't doing what I just did and pausing and <laughs> trying to think right. of what to say next. He was just very casual and, and comfortable on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, certain things came up in the show that he couldn't have planned for or expected, but he integrated seamlessly into the show anyway. Yeah. Uh, some audience interactions that he didn't, clearly didn't, uh, or couldn't possibly have uh, planned for. But Yeah, I'm, o- I'm always amazed when people can do that. Um, he obviously had a routine worked up, but when he can throw in some, um, some uh, keys to the audience or... Uh, bring bring some local things into his act. I mean, y- you don't expect that he's going to be able to do that very well, but he pulled that <laughs> off pretty well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, well, I was just really, uh, it, it's not what I expected, um, but in a good way, I guess. I mean, not that mm-hmm. I expected it to be bad or something, but sometimes no. when you have a certain expectation and it's not met, it's that's usually disappointing, as we've often pointed out in this yeah. show. But uh, no, this was... 
this was uh, very, very good. Uh, you know, I think Scott and I uh, both agree that uh, anyone who has a chance to go see uh, John live, uh, you should go do it because uh, it's a pretty good show. Yeah, I enjoy his podcast, Judge John Hodgman. So uh, that's why I was um, really excited that he was coming to Iowa City. And uh, he's he's really good on his podcast. So I, I thought surely uh, his stand-up would be pretty good too. Yeah. Um, but like you, I don't like to go in and think it's going to be, oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> so I just thought, well, I'm really excited about it, but I don't know what to expect. So I I have a reserved excitement for most things, but I was uh, I was well pleased and it surpassed my expectations. Yeah, it surpassed my expectations too. Yeah, and, uh, so, I mean I wouldn't again I wouldn't say my expectations were low, but right. But I didn't know what to expect, so they weren't high either. And mm-hmm. and it was a it was a really good show. Yeah, I was impressed. So yes, do yourself a favor and go see John Hodgman when he comes to your town. Yeah. Now, Scott, I, I don't really know the full story about, you know, your history with Superman. Uh, Scott's a pretty big Superman fan. If uh, you ever visit his house, you're going to see Superman stuff around. Um, but I guess I've never asked you what, what the story is. Maybe I've just always kind of assumed that it all started with the film in 78, but, but maybe... Uh, you were reading Superman comic books before that, or maybe, I don't know, the Super Friends was a big deal for you. What uh, what really started your lifelong uh, interest in Superman? Well, I would say probably the film, the Superman the movie in 1978, was probably the springboard for my interest in Superman. Um, I read the comic books before that. And, uh, yeah, Super Friends was a big cartoon on TV then when we were growing up back in the uh, early 70s, I guess, right? So, um, you know, back then, DC was just as popular as Marvel, if not more so. Um, But, of course, now Marvel is the more popular franchise because of (laughs) the success of the movies. Right. But back then... You know, you had uh, DC movies. Well, I mean, at least you had one DC movie, which was Superman, and, and it was, was pretty. It was pretty popular. It was very popular, a huge, huge hit. I mean, and mm-hmm. even though a lot of the sequels didn't stack up, the, the no. first, the first film, even now, is remembered really fondly, and I've watched it a few times, uh, actually, kind of recently, and it, uh, I wouldn't say it. Completely holds up, but it is pretty fun to watch still. Right. I would agree. That said, uh, neither you nor I were that happy with the uh, Richard Donner homage that was Superman Returns. I mean, even though I think uh, uh, Brandon uh, did a fairly good job of channeling Christopher Reeve. Uh, oh, it was amazing. <laughs> um, I was impressed with that, but that's yeah. not what I wanted to see in a new Superman movie. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, I I didn't want a retread of the Christopher Reeve years. I enjoyed that for what it was, but that was the past, and I wanted to move forward with a new take on Superman. And I I appreciate the homage, I guess, but it wasn't needed. So I didn't think that a continuation of the old story was really the right thing, especially for a modern take on Superman. And right. It's just not the way to go. Well, and it wasn't even particularly well done. I mean, again, yeah. I thought the actor did a did a great job, but that, you know, it, it's too bad all that good effort was wasted on not a very good script, uh, some poor casting choices in other places. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for his credit, Brandon Routh did a great job, I thought, and I didn't mind him as Superman. I just wish they would have done something else with him. Right. So it's too bad that they had to chuck him out with everything else when they (laughs) decided to do a new one because he would have been fine in this new film. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind him at all. And, you know, he's an Iowa boy, so I can't get too upset about him. Yeah, right. Well, so really we've been waiting for uh, a good Superman movie for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know... I want to. I mentioned this in the comments of the last podcast, but I think it 
I think it bears mention in in the podcast itself. Um, I have to say that uh, of all the comic book characters I've enjoyed over the years, I probably relate personally because I bring this up because people talk about, you know, you brought this up in the last podcast, how common it is for people to say that the reason Marvel characters are so popular is because they're so relatable. People relate to them. But I just want to point out how relative that terminology is. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Parker, for example, lives in New York City, is a genius, uh, apparently without even trying. He's being raised by his aunt and uncle. I mean, there are a lot of things about him that I can't relate to. But of all the comic book characters I've ever enjoyed, I probably relate to Clark Kent more than anybody because he's raised in the Midwest uh, by Methodist parents just like you and I were. And I pointed out in the comment that, uh, you know, in, in the comic books, Smallville has been lots of places, uh, including out east, um, including a few places in Kansas. But uh, in uh, media outside the comic books, radio, television, movies, the, the one place that Smallville was supposed to be located, according to uh, the radio show in 1947, was in Appanoose County, Iowa, which is just two counties south from where we grew up. Mm-hmm. As far as the uh, radio, TV, and movie media were concerned, that's where Smallville was until Richard Donner decided to permanently put it in uh, Kansas in the 1978 film. Oh, is so, that right? Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I thought it was always Kansas, even in the comic books. Oh, no. Well, again... Uh, See, that shows you how big a Superman fan I am. I mean, you say I'm a big Superman fan, and I do love Superman, but I'm not the biggest fan ever because I don't know everything there is to know about Superman. Well, that's, so I'm not a big Superman dork. That's a fairly trivial uh, fact, though, but one that I enjoy because, you know, like I say, uh, Smallville was placed in lots of places in the comic books. Uh, mm. Can- Kansas was one of those places, a few specific places in Kansas, but also I mm-hmm. think in Pennsylvania and a few other places out okay. east. Um, See, but, you're schooling me on this because I didn't know any of that. But in non-comic book media, uh, Smallville was never uh, specified. Its location was never specified except in a 1947 radio play that put it in Appanoose County, Iowa. And mm. then and then it, no other non-comic book source put it anywhere else. So you could presume that as far as radio, TV, and movie was concerned... From 1947 to 1978, Avenues County, Iowa. That's where Smallville was. Wow. But then um, Donner um, picked uh, Kansas, and then after that, all the media, including comic books, have had it in Kansas ever since. Hmm. But but the, the larger point I'm making here is that I relate to Clark Kent. I mean, Clark Kent is someone I we, you and I would have gone to school with. He's someone mm-hmm. you and I would have gone uh, to church with. Someone who would mm-hmm. have been a friend of ours who shared the same values that we shared. And the fact that, you know, he is actually from another planet and has superpowers wouldn't have changed that. Just like right. for some people, the fact that Peter Parker is, uh, you know, a genius and and uh, has spidey powers, that doesn't change how they relate to him. I mean, I even relate to uh, Bruce Wayne more than I relate to Peter Parker because... You know, Bruce Wayne is a genius and and this great fighter and everything, but he had to train to be that. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, filthy rich, but when his parents were gunned down right in front of his eyes, his wealth meant nothing to him. I mean, it, you know, at that moment. And it still means nothing to him except that it can uh, serve the purpose of helping him succeed in his mission of uh, ridding Gotham City of Crime. I mean, you might say that his wealth ended with the death of his parents. Well, yeah, exactly. And see, again, something I can relate to because you and I mm. uh, grew up on a on a farm. Our dad, uh, rather than farming, though, he worked in a factory, so we weren't wealthy by any means. But we understood uh, how we had the wealth of our family and our our close knit connections with each other, and um, you know, all of these things allow us to connect to. Characters like Bruce Wayne and, and Clark Kent, more than perhaps we can connect to the Marvel characters who often, you know, 
live in cities, <laughs> have very different backgrounds and situations than we do. So the whole notion of relatable characters is is relative. And for us, I think it makes a lot of sense that we can relate to characters like Clark Kent um, so well. Well, and I, I think that you're right about the relatable character of Clark Kent. Um, I, I think I probably gravitated to that character because of his Midwestern upbringing and his values and his um, his modesty and his, I mean, just the way he carried himself was the way I, I would consider most Midwesterners to be. Or, and, or um, if, if not, the way you'd like to be. Right, exactly. But, you know, that was a character you could really look up to also because he was so true and um, he had the value system ingrained in him and he he uh, he was uh, not only heroic, but he was also very truthful and just, you know. Right. So th those were just qualities that you looked up to and you wanted to have for yourself, even if you weren't that character. Right. Now, or if you weren't that kind of person. Now, that's something, again, that you and I can appreciate and you and I like, although mm -hmm. you go out to the forums and you hear a lot of people saying that, those very characteristics are what make him so unrelatable or boring. But again, mm -hmm. that's their opinion. I I can understand where they're coming from there, but it's... Well, know. it's truer today than it ever was. What's truer today? Well, the people like an antihero. They don't want somebody to be... Um, I mean, Superman just doesn't play to today's audience, I don't think. Uh, because people don't really... They, they see that character as boring and milk toast, and he's not really, he's not relatable, like you said. But but we can relate to him. Sure, but we are very small. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. But it, my broader point is, I don't have a problem with anyone else's interpretation of Superman. If they want Superman to be different, for them for him to relate to them, that's fine. That's the mm -hmm. great thing about comic book characters, is, as we pointed out before. In comic books, uh, the characters are reinvented pretty much every time a new artist and or new writer takes over. And if you don't like a writer or an artist's take on a character, just wait a few issues and, you know, it'll change. But that said, uh, you and I, as much as we like these comic book characters and as much as we like comic books, you know, there's a reason that, when we got together to make a podcast, it's called Screenshots, because we like our characters you know, to be on screen. We like our characters to be in movies, television shows, and even video games. And um, when they're going to make a television show or a video game or a movie about a character, we hope that it's a version of that character we'll like, because we want to be able to sit down and watch the movie or the television show and enjoy it. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, for us when they're going to make a Superman movie. And, um, again, we understand that there's various versions of Superman. Everybody has their own take on him. But we really hope that it's a take that we're going to like because we really like to see our heroes on the screen. So we were, I think it's fair to say, we were both looking forward uh, to this movie or hoping it would be good. I mean, I had some hope considering that uh, Christopher Nolan was uh, working on the project uh, as a producer. Although I have to say, after Dark Knight Rises, I was a, a little concerned. And weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I wasn't really that excited about Nolan working on the Superman project um, myself. I mean, I thought that uh, his uh, technical advisement to the project was probably warranted and possibly needed, but I was afraid that they were going to make... Uh, a flying Batman out of it. So, and that's kind of what they did. Mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the casting. Now, I was pretty satisfied when it was announced that Cavill would be Clark Kent, and I, I thought he did a reasonably good job. I, I didn't feel like they gave him much of a script to work with, and I was disappointed in that. But as far as him playing Clark Kent and Superman, I didn't really have any complaints about it. What about you? Well, I, I wasn't really bowled over when they picked Cavill. Um, for one thing, 
you know, he's not American, and that kind of bugged me a little bit. And I think that bugged some other fanboys too. But you know, it's it's not a huge deal. But it'd be nice if your, you know, truly American hero was an American person playing him. So that kind of bugged me right off. And then secondly, I didn't think he really had the look. But when I saw the film, he seemed to fit the bill fine. So I kind of ate my words when I went to go see the movie. And that didn't mean that I enjoyed the movie all the way, but um, I was a little more enthused about him in that role after I uh, saw him actually portraying Superman. I was also pleased with Michael Shannon cast as uh, General Zod. I mean, did you feel that way too? or? Well, I did at first, but then when I saw the movie, I was not really very excited. Oh, but do you, because, I mean, cause, because of him or because of the script or? Well, yes. What do you mean, yes? <laughs> that was an I'd either say the or script question. and him were probably both Really? I thought he did bad. a good job. You didn't. Mm, he really stunk. I don't know whether it was the writing or the directing or what, but he just, you know, I normally enjoy him and things, but I really didn't like him in this movie. There's another movie I saw recently that I didn't like him in either, so it's possible that I'm not going to like him in any other movies. Hmm. All right. Um, Kevin Costner's Jonathan Kent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean... I just knew that I was not going to like that choice, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. Did you? I actually did. You did like him. As I mean, a that's that's the only part of the movie that I did like was the Smallville stuff. Um, I thought that they pulled that off pretty well, and I thought that uh, I, you know, when I heard Kevin Costner, I thought I was like everybody else. I was going, eh, come on, but. When I saw the movie, I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, I don't mind Kevin Costner as much as most people do. I mean, a lot of people make him into a big joke, but I thought he did a pretty good job, and I felt like he was a really good choice for Jonathan Kent. <laughs> well, I didn't like it at all. Mm. Well, here's a, Why didn't you like well, it? Well, it, it's really not about him, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to be fair. I, I, I didn't like Jonathan Kent's character all the way around. Um, mm, okay. But I, I don't know how quickly I want to get into that. It, what's interesting is you say you like the Smallville stuff, but I thought the Smallville stuff was the worst. Mm. I thought the scene with Martha, and, and I didn't mind Diane Lane as Martha. I thought that was fine. Well, I don't mind Diane Lane. But <laughs> the scene where... You know, Clark's a little boy, and he's in the broom closet, and his mom's there trying to talk to him. That scene mm-hmm. totally did not work uh, for me. Now, part of it was because the kid's classmates and teacher are all standing around, and that doesn't make any sense that that would happen. Mm-hmm. But besides the fact that it doesn't make any sense, the intimacy of the moment was non-existent. So, yeah. so it you know it just it just didn't work, and the interactions between. Jonathan and young Clark, to me, failed for all the same reasons. And the advice he gave Clark about things didn't make sense. I mean, unless you thought so, because I I think the setup for that was, you know, Jonathan was telling him Clark saved kids from a, you know, their bus crash, and he, he saved them from possibly drowning. And Clark asked Jonathan if he should have just let him die, and Jonathan says, maybe. <laughs> Which the, hmm. the idea there was, I guess, Jonathan was concerned that once people knew that an alien was living among them and, you know, they're not alone in the universe, that it would cause panic and, you know, because it would challenge people's religious worldviews and, and, uh, it might, well, it might cause a lot I, of, it actually might cause a lot of suffering and all this stuff in the world. So, so saving a few kids wasn't worth causing riots and, and mayhem that would, cause maybe thousands or millions of people to to die or something, I think is what he was thinking, but that just, something about that didn't seem reasonable. Well, and I didn't really see that as much as I saw it as if you let yourself, if you let your instinct kick in and save people and then they find out about you, they're going to take you away from us. I thought that's what that was all about. 
they're going to take you away and they're going to try to dissect you and study you. And I, I thought that's what it was. But yeah, that's an interesting point. You, I'm sure that what you just said is probably the right thing. But uh, I guess I saw it as a personal thing. Like, I don't want you to expose yourself because then you're going to leave us. But, but uh, the thing is, whatever the speculation was, whatever he thought was going to happen, mm-hmm. he didn't really have any, he didn't know those things were going to happen. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even have any reasonable, he didn't even really have a reason to think they would probably happen. I mean, they were things that could happen, and they were things where their probability made it fair for Clark to hide his abilities under normal circumstances, you know, and maybe not go out for football and stuff like that. But when it comes to saving people's lives or letting them die, well, <laughs> you know, I think most people would say, you really don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if he's going to be taken away or what that's going to mean. You don't know if there's going to be mass chaos. Uh, you know, the, so you can't sacrifice people's lives, anyone's life, based on that. And it just didn't seem like something Jonathan Kent would be teaching Clark. Hmm. I mean, just well, you're you're probably right about that, and I think, you know, the more we talk about the Jonathan Kent story in the new movie, it makes me think of the Glenn Ford portrayal of Jonathan Kent in the original movie, and how his advice was, um, I don't know why you were put on this earth. You were put on this earth for something great. And I know it wasn't for, um, getting touchdowns. (laughs) So something along those lines. And that was, that was a perfect, perfect line. So I guess it should have been something more like that. And I think you're right about that, Bill, because I didn't even think about that. Why would Jonathan Kent have all these fears about what could happen when he has no idea? I mean, They've never, it's not like somebody else discovered an alien uh, five years before that and, <laughs> oh, look what happened to that guy. Right. So it's kind of like it's for the audience to think about or something like uh, like Jonathan's in tune to what the government will do if they find out or something. I, I don't, yeah, you're right. I mean, that doesn't really make any sense. They don't know what's going to happen and why would they? Why would they try to teach their son not to be who he is? Well, and basically, you know, I, I was going to mention this before, and I, I forgot. But uh, to be fair, we should probably mention that you and I both uh, were fans of Smallville. At least you watched in the early seasons. Yeah, and um, I can say most definitely that Smallville is a version of Clark Kent and Superman that I completely um, appreciate. In fact, oh yeah, me too. In fact, that's my favorite version of Superman so far, and I would have mm-hmm. I would have loved it if they were able to make a film out of that show. I thought uh, Tom Welling was a great Clark Kent. Uh, I thought um, well, a lot of people wouldn't agree with you. Uh, I thought Erica Durrance was the best portrayal of Lois Lane so far, and that includes <laughs> that t- uh, includes uh, Man of Steel. I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Rosenbaum was the best Lex Luthor, and the relationship they established between Lex and Clark in the early years of Smallville, I thought, was outstanding. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting take. Yeah. So, full disclosure, uh, Smallville is the version of Superman that uh, I like the best so far. I was kind of hoping that uh, the Man of Steel version of, of Clark Kent and Superman would be similar, but it turned out not to be. But... The reason I bring it up now is because uh, I had liked um, Jonathan Kent in in Smallville also, uh, portrayed by, um, what's his name? Schneider. John Schneider. Yeah. Uh, very good. Bo Duke. <laughs> very well done. Uh, I liked the relationship they had. Uh, I liked the story arc with Jonathan. And, and I thought that was, really defined the relationship between Jonathan and Clark really well and that's not even close to the relationship they had between um, Jonathan and Clark in the film. So yeah. I guess I was pretty disappointed in that. 
Uh, what about uh, Russell Crowe as Jor-El? <laughs> I just, I feel like I know what you're going to say here. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe you don't. I, I actually didn't mind him okay. as Jor-El. I, I like Russell Crowe. I mean, I don't mind him, and I, I thought he was decent enough as Jor-El. I didn't like how, I didn't like some of the things they had him do and say and <laughs> whatever, but. I mean, I thought he did a decent job. Yeah, I did too. I, I wasn't opposed to as it. As a matter of fact, I I liked the beginning of the movie because I thought it was interesting all the things they did with Krypton. I mean, I don't I don't know if I liked everything they did, but I thought it was in I didn't like any of it. I thought it was interesting and um mm-hmm. I I could have I could have lived with it. But you didn't like any of it, you say? I didn't really care for it. I I didn't like how they made everything so organic you know that seems to be the the cutting edge right now you know everything has to be organic looking and so that's what they did with krypton they made the screens organic looking like you know the i don't know what was it was like a a morphine screen so that had this material that would form into objects and i just didn't care for that. I thought that was pretty hokey. Well, what would you have preferred? Um, I guess I would have preferred that they just do something more technologically advanced, but more techy, you know, more polished. Not, I mean, everything was so dark, and and the uh, uh, machines were dark and the way they operated was dark and it it goes back to the whole batman flying batman thing you know it just seemed like everything was like uh batman beyond <laughs> technology or something you know well the the message i think what the obvious message was about krypton was that they were enamored with science and technology uh, divorced from really any kind of ethics. They were mm-hmm. obviously practicing some form of eugenics. You know, uh, Kal-El was the first natural-born Kryptonian in generations and all this stuff. So it's, yeah. it seems like design-wise, everything would have looked sterile, angular, you know, to kind of go along with that general aesthetic and philosophy that Krypton was had you know had embraced rather than like as you say making everything look like it was part of a living thing or look organic so I, I kind of have to agree with you on that it seemed a little disjointed compared to what they were trying to get you to believe about Krypton which is they you know they were they were trying to take from the core to augment their energy needs and stuff I mean they obviously didn't care about organic things or about their planet or about anything that they were they they didn't care about Kryptonians being born in the natural way, or they had to control. Yeah. They had to control everything. And maybe, maybe the uh, idea behind the art design was in making it organic was that it wasn't just organic. It was, it was, uh, it was shaped. You know, it was molded organic, and it was maybe mm-hmm. supposed to communicate. You know how they're taking the natural world and they're bending it to their will, but. I, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure. I mean, if that's what they were going for, I, I, I don't think it worked. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it, um, but now that you mention it, it does seem to. It seems like they should have gone for a more straightforward, you know, hyper technological, angular, clean. Uh, but see, that's the kind of look that you've always seen Krypton, you know, like in the films. That's the way it was, and so maybe they just. Yeah, to do something different. I know they wanted to do something different, and that's all well and good. But I just think they went too far with it, or they—it was like it was um, slightly medieval, <laughs> almost. You know, it, everything was so dark, and there was nothing glossy about it, really. Um, which is, I guess I did expect to see that, but I wanted to see that too. You know, I just, I wanted to see a clean, um, futuristic place. Well, and doing something different just to be different is, that's not cool. I mean, you can, yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be true to the story you're telling. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever what they did in Superman, I expected from Nolan. I mean, that seems like something Nolan would do in one of his movies because his movies are very dark and um, very, you know, he wants to push the limit on the technology and show different ways to do things, and that's all well and good, but I just didn't think that this take on it really needed to be in a Superman movie. I think they could have... I think Nolan should have taken that and used it somewhere else. And I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know whether it's something that uh, Snyder thought up or the writers or what. I don't know. And what was the deal with that thing he was writing? I don't know. That didn't make any sense to me at all. No, it it didn't. I, I just didn't really appreciate the way Krypton was portrayed. And like you said, I mean, I may have expected something in my own head, but we all do. And I didn't get it, and that's fine, but it didn't even come close. I mean, it was it was just way off. I, it, I, didn't, I didn't like the dark tone of it. I didn't like the bleakness of it. I just, it just didn't play with me. Well, I liked the, uh, the things they were trying to do with technology, and I, I didn't really care for using the whole eugenics thing as a reasoning for why Kal-El would have powers, but... In general, I like that the attempt, anyway, to sort of paint Krypton as this uh, hyper-technical, hyper-scientific, hyper-rational place. But I think you're right. The aesthetic sort of contradicted the story that they were trying to tell. And I mean, especially when he hopped on this giant animal and was riding it around instead of <laughs> yeah. riding yeah. some kind of a you know a, a vehicle or something. That that didn't really make sense to me. That's what I mean. It, it was almost like it was a King Arthur story packed in there somehow and uh, i just want the only other cast member i want to talk about is amy adams as lois lane now when she was Ugh. she was first cast i was very skeptical i i thought she might be able to pull it off uh given some of the roles i've seen her in before but i mean most of the roles i've seen her in would not indicate to me that she could pull off lois lane and her performance was pretty much as Every bit as bad as I expected. What are your thoughts? Uh, not worth talking about at all. <laughs> you don't have anything to say about it? No, it sucked. Let's go to the next. <laughs> one. It was not a good. It was not a good choice. She was not a good choice. She's not a Lois Lane character. She's not a strong character. And Lois is supposed to be a strong character, and I don't see strong out of you, her. And she can't pull it off either. You kind of sound a little bitter about it, honestly. I don't like her. <laughs> she's, I haven't liked her in anything she's been in. Okay. I just don't care for her. All right, so so the film starts off. Um, I, I can appreciate some of the things it's doing, but I, I'm with you. It, it's a little uneven at the beginning. Uh, you liked the Smallville parts, but I thought they were even more uneven, and I, I wasn't. Well, they were. They were. But I, I think I just liked the – I liked how they were put together. I guess I – the whole movie was really disjointed with the the uh, way. I mean, the the Smallville part was kind of like a like a uh, almost a love letter to small town life or something, you know. And then I, I think they did that on purpose so that you could see the stark contrast from Clark's upbringing to when he gets to Metropolis and becomes Superman. Yeah, but that's the way that's the way it's always been. I mean, there's always been a, a it's always different. But when they portrayed it in the original movie, it was you know it was very quiet and relaxed. And then when he got to the big city, well, that's when the action started. And that's what they did in this film too. But um, it, it was it was quite a contrast. Well, I uh, I I didn't mind also the the notion that. Clark might not really know what to do for a while after he's done with mm -hmm. high school and he kind of wanders around and he has to move from place to place. Uh, that was kind of an interesting idea. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with with that aspect of it. The whole no, I didn't either. I thought that was an inter an interesting idea, and I thought that was uh, that was a good idea. Uh, being drawn to a ship that had been buried in the ice for thousands of years, didn't mind that. I thought that was kind of interesting. 
uh, you know, it was a that was replacing the whole Fortress of Solitude idea, I suppose. Um, but yeah, didn't have a problem with that. Um, there were a lot of plot holes in the film. I think everybody can appreciate, you know, knows that's true. And I don't, I don't want to address a lot of that uh, stuff. But um, uh, it seems like things really went south when Zod shows up. <laughs> he broadcasts his warning. <laughs> Clark's sitting there drinking a beer, watching a football game while everybody else is watching these uh, televised all of the broadcast uh, television is taken over by this announcement something seems really strange and off about that to me yeah uh and then he he sees the broadcast and then he talks to this priest out of nowhere i don't know who this priest was if this is the church that he goes to or what and he gets this advice when you would think he would have, you know, by then he'd already met Jarrell and he would just have gone there to find out what to do and Jarrell would have told him what to do. Uh, all the stuff where Lois was insinuated into the plot seemed really forced, like like they didn't know what to do with Lois or that they originally wrote it without Lois and then realized, gosh, we really need to put Lois in here and it seemed really forced and kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, stop me if any of this doesn't sound familiar to you or if you felt differently about it. No, I'm with you on all of that. I I thought uh, that they handled the characters uh, pretty poorly. Um, I, I just don't think that they really reacted to things the way they should have or even acted on things the way they should have. I just I thought the writing was just atrocious. Yeah, not very good. The plot was, I mean, aside even just from the contra- uh, contradictions and plot holes, the the plot was really thin. And mm-hmm. and then um, the whole thing about him having a difficult time breathing in the Kryptonian atmosphere or something. I mean, obviously this in li- in this film at least is replacing uh, kryptonite. But it, it makes me wonder: Are they not going to have uh, kryptonite in the Superman series because? You know, I'm curious to know what meaning there is to a Superman versus Batman team-up if there's no kryptonite. I mean, what's Batman going to do, shoot Kryptonian atmosphere at him? I mean... Well, and I thought that was interesting about the uh, having trouble um, acclimating to the to Earth's atmosphere. I never, I never, I've never seen that before. Or, I mean, I haven't bought any comic books for a while maybe they've been doing that in the comic books i don't know but i've never seen it uh i've never seen it portrayed like that before like oh it was an he has trouble with this atmosphere well that makes sense i guess but i i can't believe that they wouldn't totally or that they would totally uh take the kryptonite out of the story i, I think if they're going to do a batman superman movie they got to have the kryptonite in there and i think they will i don't think that's I don't think that's going to be taken away just because they decided to do something different with um, with Clark and how he had to acclimate himself. I think they did that because they wanted to. They wanted it to. Uh, they wanted Zod and his crew to have a hard time when they got here. Uh, they didn't want them to automatically be able to. Um, I mean, their strength was there, I guess, but they didn't want them to be uh, totally 100% dominant over Superman. Well, they, and they, they wanted to, to, they wanted to give them a reason to terraform the Earth to f- suit their... Yeah, that that too. Team. Yeah, that, that was part of the plot line, and which was ridiculous. <laughs> what, you didn't like that Clark was the Codex and he had all of the mm, genetic yeah. information of Krypton in his genes or whatever? No, I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> so I think that's been I think that's been done before in some other movies, and I don't think they needed to to put that in this one. Well, then we get to what I, I mean, all of that was pretty bad. I mean, I I was mm-hmm. by that point in the film, I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to walk out of the theater with any satisfaction about this version of. Superman, but then we get to what I regard as really the worst part of the film, and there's been a lot of discussion about this in forums and, and whatnot, and mm-hmm. uh, everyone's got their opinion, and that's fine, but I, I just can't escape the idea that this huge fight scene in Metropolis that's 
you know, knocking down buildings and probably claiming thousands of lives. Yeah. Uh, makes any sense at all. No, and it was horrifying to watch. I mean, we're in a post-9-11 world here, and now we... Is it okay to see buildings come down like that? Well, I guess for I don't s- think so. I guess for some people it's not too soon, but... Boy, I... I I mean, I, I sat there, and all I could think about was the towers. Yeah. It, I mean, I, horrifying, who really? can go into that movie? I mean, unless you're a 12-year-old girl, how can you go into a movie like that and not think about that? Or or boy, probably. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Anybody who wasn't alive to see that happen, they're, they're not going to think about it, I guess. But I'm just saying that, you know, how how can you... Put that in a picture. I know it's been over ten years now, but come on. I mean that, that like you said. I mean, thousands of lives were lost while they were fighting it out. Well, it, but had had to be. Yeah, and and then a, a, a helicopter starts to come down, and he takes the time to. First of all, it takes his time to save someone falling out of the helicopter. Doesn't care about yeah. the thousands of people that are dying in the buildings, but he can he can no. pause in the fighting to save one person falling out of the helicopter, mm-hmm. while there are other people in the helicopter. By the way, and the helicopter's plummeting to the earth. Yeah. Uh, it didn't make any sense. But he, and he stops. Are you okay? You know, it's like <laughs> it, I think they were trying to show how you know here he is in this huge you know battle between. You know, him and Zod, this titanic battle, but he has time to stop and ask with sincerity, are you okay? That's the kind of guy Superman is. Well, it just looks stupid. It didn't make any sense. Well, if Superman was uh, worth uh, anything, he would have done more to take the battle out of the city. Well, or that's what I think. he would have taken that uh, machine out. Well, we're going to talk about this a little more later because I want to go ahead and get to you know, the biggest thing that people argue about, which is killing Zod, snapping his neck. And what are your thoughts about that? Because I don't think we've even talked about that moment in the film, because I I presume that that probably really bothered you. Well, you know, you think it would, but it didn't bother me as much as it probably should have, because he, Superman had basically already killed a bunch of people in these buildings, so... (laughs) Um, you know, by the time he got around to Zod and snapped his neck, well, I mean, that's just something he did with his, with his own hands. So whatever. I mean, the whole movie was a wash by that point, Bill. So I didn't really care. Well, um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't right. I mean, Superman doesn't take lives, but evidently he does now. Well, a lot of people lost their lives on that day. Okay. And so what, what people are saying I mean, the, the debate basically is, well, either you want Superman, either you prefer Superman to be able to be better than you would be <laughs> or figure mm-hmm. out a solution that you wouldn't be able to figure out, or you want him yeah. to be like you and not know what to do and do the thing that you probably would do. I mean, that's, that's, what, the, that's what the debate comes down to. Either you, yeah. want, either you want Superman to be like you, or you want Superman to be actually a little smarter or maybe a little better than you. Either you want to look up to Superman or you want to look eye to eye with Superman. If you want Superman to be on your level, then if, if he's someone you would look up to, you actually, I don't know, kind of resent him, I guess. Or you, or you think he's boring or you're not, he's not interesting to you. Or conversely, if you'd rather Superman be someone you can look up to and he's going to do the thing that you wouldn't do or couldn't do, you know, then you're disappointed that he does something that in your mind is just going to make him on the same level as the bad guy. Well, and you sent me something uh, earlier this week that uh, stated that they were trying to make him into more like an angry god instead of um, like an omnipotent uh, superhero or whatever, you know. Mm. So if that's the case, then it does make sense that he would... um, snap the neck of Zod. Well, my overall impression of how they were, you know, how they were portraying Clark. Mm-hmm. And and this this actually solved some of the plot holes if you think about it this way, not all of them, but some of them. And it also explains a little bit why Jonathan acted the way he did. It seems like they wanted to portray 
Jonathan and Clark as being kind of short-sighted in a in a mm. country kind of way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they they're farm folk, they're rural folk, right? They're they're right. They don't get it. They take care of their own. You know, they yep. They don't know the big they city don't, ways. They don't want to. <laughs> They don't want to get involved in all that nonsense that you know other people are are worried about, um, right? And that you know the reason Clark was doing all that stuff in the city was he just t- stupid, just dumb guy. You know, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of people think, yeah. well, that's a much more real. I mean, you know, this is his first uh, time as a hero. How is he going to magically occur to him to lure the enemy away from the city and things like that? Uh, well, and that's how that's why they I thought they handled it a lot better in Superman the movie because um you know, I liked in this movie that uh, he didn't really have any direction, he didn't know where to go or what to do and and uh, he kind of found his way that way, which was which was good, but I I think they should have taken the Superman the movie route and he should have he should have found the fortress of solitude or the ship or whatever and he should have been schooled correctly and then that would have been a better outcome well here's the thing Uh, another person i I remember seeing a comment that said well you know the fact that he's killed and that he obviously didn't like it (laughs) you know now we've got a character motivation for him to avoid killing later and there's not just some Mm -hmm. kind of out of nowhere value that he has for, I mean, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't, uh, Superman kill just, just because now we have a justification. Well, here's my answer to that. And, and here's, here's my answer to that. And here's my answer to some of what you were talking about, about him being schooled and finding the fortress of solitude and everything else. There was a reason why he didn't kill. It was because of how he was raised by Jonathan and Martha Kent. Uh, yeah. There was a reason for him to know to lure the enemy away from the city, not because he had experience as a crime fighter, but because as someone who has compassion for other human beings, he's going to notice right away, just like we, the audience, who also, we don't have any experience fighting crime, but we're smart enough to know, hey, don't fight the guy in the middle of the city. Um, yeah. And Clark Kent knows that because he has the compassion for human life that he was taught by Jonathan and Martha Kent. We don't need to make up these reasons for him to know not to kill people or to know to care about people or to know not to fight someone in the city because we have a reason. It's because he was raised by two compassionate, sensible people. He was given a really good education in the Midwest where you can still get one of those. And that's it. That's the justification for Clark acting in a very different way than he behaved in the movie, but yeah, you don't have to kill somebody to know that it, that's probably not the right. Exactly thing right, and I, I, for some reason, I think, you know, when I talked about this on uh, the other podcast that I do, uh, Magical Talking Hat, it, it basically it boiled down to it was redneck Superman, <laughs> you know, mm, raised yeah. in the country, not too bright, uh, just can't mm-hmm. figure these things out, and the reason his father. You know, said, well, maybe you should let those people die is because, you know, he's all provincial, you know, parochial, and he just, he just can't think in terms of the big picture. And, you know, after mm-hmm. I started thinking that that was probably the case, and it explained a lot of aspects, what were to me baffling aspects of Clark's character and baffling plot, uh, choices, um, I, I hadn't realized this, and I know I'm gonna seem like I, live under a rock or something but shortly thereafter i realized that there are a lot of reality shows on tv with rural people like duck dynasty i guess is one and a few other yeah. ones like there's there's actually kind of a fascination in a reality tv show kind of way uh with people who live in rural areas and who live a rural lifestyle but but i think mm-hmm. the those so-called reality tv shows are painting a picture of rural life that <laughs> is is really not that realistic at all and i, and I think i think yeah. it probably isn't serving people like david goyer and, and the and audiences that go to see this film who think oh yeah this is a realistic portrayal of what a 
a kid who's raised in Kansas is going to be like if he turns into a superhero? Uh, no. Hmm. No, not a realistic portrayal of what a kid raised. I mean, the portrayal of Clark Kent as it's been so far, that is a realistic portrayal. Take it from someone who was raised in the Midwest and can relate to Clark Kent because he is exactly the kind of person that you and I would have gone to school and gone to church with. This version of Clark Kent, um, you know, I, <laughs> I guess we also knew plenty of people that would be called rednecks and who, uh, you know, who might have handled things the way Clark did in the film, but I don't think that was a necessary way to go to make the character more realistic or relatable. And it's certainly not my version of Clark Kent or Superman, so it, it didn't work for me. I, I think the thing that really bothered me most about the movie was that he, well, I mean, I know he wasn't supposed to know everything, but, I mean, he's smart enough to know enough, you know. And part of that is you don't kill. And, you know, the thing that really bothered me about the movie the most was just how much action they threw into this movie. When you got to Metropolis and all this stuff went down, it was like nonstop action. And, you know, at one point I looked at my watch because I was so yeah, bored yeah. looking at all of this stuff coming <laughs> at me. And it's supposed to be exciting. But I was bored. I mean, it was just bam, 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 and it wouldn't stop, and it wouldn't let up, and it was yeah, boring. way over the top. And action's not supposed to be boring, Snyder. <laughs> way over the top. Yeah, why was it boring? You know why? Too much yeah. of it. And it's all CGI, so it's not real. Well, I mean, it's not so, like it looked that great either, as far as I was concerned. Well, yeah, I mean... Movies aren't real anyway, but the way they do them now, it's like you're watching a video game, so who cares? All right. Um, I want to just touch on this briefly. We were going to talk a little bit about the fall TV schedule, but we won't have time to do that. Uh, but I do want to ask, um, you know. Not worth it. <laughs> how are you feeling about the casting of Ben Affleck as Batman in, in the second installment of Superman? Uh, I don't think that's probably the right way to go i thought maybe they'd go a little younger or something to kind of match cavill and go with somebody who was uh kind of a no-name like cavill i mean cavill's not much of a name you know i thought they might even go with uh, uh joseph gordon levitt because they kind of alluded that he could take over for batman in the last film i thought but uh they didn't go that way and i just thought that was kind of strange that they wouldn't i don't know why they well i i guess i've read some things that say that they want uh, batman to have more age uh so that he is portrayed as wiser than uh cavill's superman but that doesn't really make any sense i mean just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser well so, just because you're younger doesn't mean you're can't I mean just because he's Cavill's age, close to uh, Clark's age, just because Bruce is close to Clark's age, doesn't mean he can't yeah. teach him a few things, especially if he's been, you know, fighting crime a little bit longer, or think or yeah, or thinking exactly. about. I mean, you know, he's been thinking about fighting crime his whole life, so he's he's got to know something that uh, Clark doesn't know. Yeah. Um, well, in in the comic books, Batman's always much smarter than Superman. I mean, he can. He can work circles around Superman. Not that Superman's dumb. It's just that Batman is, I mean, he's right. a detective at heart. So like a, uh, he's Like a Sherlock, a Sherlock Holmes level detective. Yeah, he's, he's uh, technologically right, advanced. So, so why, so there really isn't any story reason, at least not a good justification so far to make him older. No, I don't think so. And, you know, why Affleck? I mean, we saw how good he is as a superhero in uh, Daredevil. So, I mean, that should be a pretty good indication of what we're going to get with a Batman. Well, I guess we'll find out because we'll watch it, as you pointed out in the past. 
We will go yeah, watch these. I mean, we will go watch it these doesn't movies. matter what they do. I'm going to go see it, I guess, or I could just skip it, but I'm going to see it yeah. at some point. I mean, I'm not going to avoid it because it's something I'm interested in. If it's science fiction and superheroes, I'm yep. going to go. All right, well, and they that's, that. uh, that's our take on Man of Steel. <laughs> Obviously, we were not very happy with it, but, you know, this is uh, just... Better luck. This is just time. one version of Superman. If, uh, if you liked it, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, there's a version that you like. Not my, uh, not my version of Superman, but uh, to each his own. That's it for us, I guess. Uh, until next time, I'm William Wright for Scott Wright. Thanks for listening. Screenshots is a production of Ether Theater. Music is provided by Chris Snook.